Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to episode 184, or or could we call it episode one, of the brand new Winning Momentum podcast. Uh, I am excited about that. We are, as I mentioned last week, we are doing our rebranding of the Martinis with Scott show, which has been going on probably for two and a half years, somewhere in that range. Anyways, episode 184 of that content started, as you may recall, you longtime listeners started as a, as a experiment, as an experiment. I wander uh, through pre-COVID, I, I wander through airports and driving and spending lots of time with headphones on listening to podcasts. And I wanted to try it out um, to try to find a way to give more value uh, to impact more owner managers, more entrepreneurs, more family businesses, more mid-market and smaller enterprises uh, than I'm able to do on a one-on-one basis. And so I wanted to try and start providing this content. And it's been, it's been such a learning experience for me. It's been such a journey. It's been tremendous. And it has evolved. I started at the beginning of the COVID. I think it was April 2020. I started a personal branding journey. Um, with a uh, with a group out of Nashville who I won't talk about at the moment. I love them. I love them. I just don't I don't have their permission to be dropping names and such. But uh, started a personal branding journey, and it's been um, it's been amazing. It's really it's really you know it's funny for a person like me, a fellow like me, and I've I've talked to a lot of my peers about this who have dipped their toes into social media and providing some content. Um, you go through your career and you're trained and you have experiences and you start doing uh, well for yourself. And what you never really do is reflect as to why, like, why am I being successful? What have I learned? What life lessons are there that, um, that I can express to other people in such a way as to help them with their businesses? And, and that's been the journey for me. The journey for me is not learning new things to impart on you. The journey for me has been to try to figure out a way to communicate so that you will find value in the lessons and the ideas and the, the procedures that I have. So it's, it's, been, um, it's been an amazing journey, and I'm a long way. I am a long way, I think, from being any good at this, but, uh, but we're getting better. We're getting better every day that I work on it. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this rebrand of the Winning Momentum uh, podcast with Scott Sinclair. And no more martinis with Scott. We're done with that. Now, Winning Momentum will be, the podcast version will be um, largely an interview format. I know that I'm doing this on my own at the moment, but I'm doing it on my own because I just want to get this new system and the Roadcaster Pro that I bought and the the way that I'm going about things. I want to make sure this is set up before I start wasting people's time. For example, for example, I, uh, I just shot about half an hour of this uh, and failed to hit record on the Rodecaster Pro. So, um, so now I'm redoing it. So now I'm redoing it. Well, I don't want to do that with a guest. I want to make sure that I'm doing everything uh, properly. And I've, uh, just learned that I need to create a checklist for myself because there's a lot of things to plug in and get right. And so, and that I need to remember. So 
I'm going to do a couple of solo shows until I get the hang of uh, just the new equipment and make sure I'm not screwing things up. Um, and then probably by February, we'll be rolling into the interview format um, as we did in the early days of Martinis with Scott. And I am, I'm excited about that. Okay. The, by the way, I will also tell you that I'm launching a personal website, thescottsinclair.com, thescottsinclair.com. Probably by February again, that'll be up and running. That will uh, contain links to my shows, um, but also blog posts. You can come and subscribe on blog posts. I think there'll be a newsletter. I'm not sure what the frequency of that is. Um, and... Um, There'll be a bunch of other content in there. And I think, I think we're developing a course uh, based on the winning momentum uh, material um, that you can, you can get a free download of, of the content to, to give you some action items to start improving your business right away. Um, and we can even uh, register for a course or give you a way to reach me, give you a way to reach me so that I can help you turn around or refinance your business should you want to do that. Now, when I talk about the winning momentum content, the content is going to divide into, you know, three buckets. Uh, I think of it as a three-legged stool. Uh, number one would be leadership skills. That would be the first leg of the stool. Uh, because in any turnaround, if you're going to improve your business, and when I say turnaround, I'm not just talking about you're on the verge of insolvency and you're going to try and turn this business around. I'm talking about you are an owner-manager of a business. You're an entrepreneur. Um, you're a professional management team in a mid-market smaller businesses, and you're not performing as well as you should, right? There's a continuum of turnarounds. There's insolvent, and there's, hey, our margins aren't quite good enough. We ought to be, we ought to be making more money. But to make change, to lead change, you need to be a leader, okay? You need to be a leader. I love that I have a mute button on this new, uh, on this new roadcaster here. Um, you need to be a leader. And so we talk about leadership skills on the winning momentum content. The second leg to that stool of content is what I've called a mindset development. This is a personal development, personal improvement. Um, and, and the reason for this is that troubled businesses cannot be separated from their leadership, mid-market and smaller businesses in particular. They're always limited by the personal habits, the, the mental filters of their leaders. What is a mental filter? I talk about that on the Martinis with Scott show many times in the past, and we will continue to do so on the Winning Momentum podcast because mental filters are incredibly important. One example would be a filter of positivity, looking at a view, uh, viewing a set of events with a positive mindset rather than a negative mindset and breaking through that negative uh, filter. And then the third, the third bucket of content, the third leg to the stool would be technical skills because running out of money during a turnaround is not an option. That just means you're, you're toast, right? And so you need to have the technical skills, which means understanding the lingo on the finance side, being able to restructure your balance sheet, being able to understand margins on your, your profit and loss, um, um, how to manage your cash flow, how to restructure, if I didn't say that already. And so the technical skills are the third uh, part of this. And, you know, on the, the Martinis with Scott um, days, in the Martinis with Scott days, we used to do uh, a show called A Quick Shot, A Quick Shot. So the Martinis with Scott, it was an hour long, like likely the winning momentum will be. And 
and uh, when momentum was an interview style at the beginning, sorry, the uh, martinis with Scott was an interview style at the beginning, um, and then turned into a solo show as I'm doing right now. But we did these quick shots, which were more technical in nature. And a lot of them were definitional, like what is EBITDA? Earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization, an important metric. We will cover these more again on the Winning Momentum podcast as well. But what is EBITDA was one, what is tangible net worth? What is uh, enterprise value, right? And we talked about how to build models in the early days, the uh, rolling monthly financial model, the uh, which is a spreadsheet, um, cash flow models. So we talked about those things because if you are going to lead a turnaround, if you're going to improve your business, you need to understand the basics, the basics of these technical skills. So let's move on to the content for today. Or the thought for today. Uh, why do turnarounds fail? Why is it so hard to change a business? And the idea here is that you need as a business leader, um, and this is in your life as well, right? If, if you, if you've, um, if you're an addict, you need to hit rock bottom often before you can affect a change. Well, it's the same in a business. So turnarounds can only begin. Turnarounds can only begin when the management of the business, when the leadership of the business accepts that there is a problem with both the business and their leadership. So turnarounds can only begin after management of the business accepts that there's a problem with both, not just one, with both the business and their leadership. And that acceptance does not come easy. If you talk to any banker, any professional experienced at advising troubled businesses, ask them the question. They're going to tell you that almost all the time or very often, it's all too common that management teams are resistant to change. They're dismissive of criticism and they embrace victimhood, right? They embrace victimhood, resistant to change, um, and they're dismissive of criticism. Hey, maybe you ought to be doing this rather than that. Their mental block, their confirmation bias, doesn't let them even hear. Doesn't even let them hear these suggestions that may be a little different from the way that they're doing things. Let me give you some quotes that I hear all the time. Hey, that big deal. That big deal is going to close any day now. We've been working on this project. It's coming through. You know, here's all the reasons for the delays that have been going on for like a year, but it's going to close any day now. And when it does, when it does, we're going to have enough money, profit from that deal, and it's going to fix all of our problems any day. We're not troubled. We're just waiting for this one deal to come in. And and I'm a victim. I don't know why this prospective customer, why this customer has dragged things out so long, but it's coming through. It's coming through. Believe me on that. Or, or we're troubled. I know our reporting sucks. Um, I know that we're out of money. Uh, it's my CFO's fault. It's my CFO's fault, chief financial officer. Uh, they're out of their depth. This fellow is out of his depth. I need to fire him. I need to replace him. And when I do, we will be on the right track. Those are phrases that I've heard or arguments that I've heard and, and, and others like those. But I've heard so many times in my career, I can't even dare to count how many times. Um, and, you know, the irony or the, the weirdness about these sort of statements is that the leaders, the business leaders that are making those statements, they never seem able to see the obvious, which is that the big deal's been coming every day now for a year or for two years. 
why is it going to come tomorrow? For years you've been saying this, um, or that you've been through multiple CFOs in a short period of time. I was doing a turnaround. I was doing a turnaround a couple of years ago, and I had that exact that exact scenario where the the president and the owner of this business was blaming uh, the CFO on the executive team uh, for all of their problems and certainly on the financial side, but really throughout the whole organization was blaming the CFO and they needed to change the CFO. They were frustrated, but what they, what they didn't tell me, it took me a couple of weeks to figure this out is that this particular CFO who is the root of all evil was in fact the third CFO that they had had in 18 months. So CFOs were, who are professional accountants uh, for the most part, um, had an average life of about six months in this organization. And, you know, at some point, if you're going through executive turnover like that, it's like divorces, right? At some point, you need to just say, hey, maybe it's me. If I'm on my third or fourth wife, maybe it's me. If I'm on my third CFO in 18 months, maybe it's not the CFO that's the problem, right? Maybe you ought to just think about that if that's your situation. And I know you think that's an extreme example. It's not. I see that all the time. Uh, it's really amazing. But the business leader never has enough, the business owner, the president, never has enough self-reflection until someone breaks through that confirmation bias to, to, um, to know that they need to change. The business needs to change and that they need to change. You know, leading business change is difficult. It's difficult and it's a risky adventure for all concerned. It requires the turnaround, turnaround leader, as I've said, to confront their confirmation bias, right? And I talk about confirmation bias all the time. Confirmation bias is where you've made a decision. Uh, and an example here would be, um, I'm, a, I'm a terrific leader. I'm an excellent leader and everything I'm doing is right. And then what you do is you seek facts. You seek facts to support the decision or the filter that you already have and you ignore or amend facts that are contrary to that filter. And that's the way the human brain works. We don't look at a, at a bunch of facts and then make a decision based out of that. We come at every situation with a filter, which is that I'm competent, and then I ignore facts that, that don't support that filter that I already have, that preconceived notion that I already have. And that's how we create this victim mentality because I'm awesome, but things aren't going the way they're supposed to be going. And so the world has conspired about, against me, right? So it requires, turnarounds require a turnaround leader. Business improvements require the leader to confront their confirmation bias. They need to accept objectively the idea that the organization's culture and strategies and routines have failed, or at least they've resulted in an undesirable outcome. Okay, so you have to accept that what you're doing isn't working. You have to accept the need to change. And it requires a leader, therefore, to define and to try to execute on a new culture, new strategies, new routines within the organization, and to have the self-confidence to try new ideas and to think big, while at the same time being in touch with day-to-day -day realities and being willing to adjust, be willing to adjust um, in real time in real time, okay? So you have to, you have to be a little, uh, um, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, I want to say schizo, I don't know if that's the right word, but you have to have two trains of thoughts at the same time. You know, big picture, self-confidence, 
I'm changing routines, I'm changing culture, all of that soft, fun stuff that's great with entrepreneurs, while at the same time, while at the same time dealing with the day-to-days of cash flow, suppliers, making more money, that sort of stuff. You have to deal with the realities of it at the same time. And you have to have persuasive capabilities. So you have to confront your confirmation bias. You have to execute on new strategies while at the same time paying, uh, paying attention to the details. And you have to persuade. You have to have persuasive capabilities sufficient to gain the buy-in of all of the stakeholders of the business. And that would include employees, customers, suppliers, lenders, shareholders, etc. Because to implement a new plan um, requires everybody to be on the same on the same uh, page. So let's go back to those three stools of the winning momentum contact uh, content. I talked about personal mindset development. This is the confirmation bias. This is how do I how do I understand that I need to change personally. I need to improve. I need to change my filters, my mental filters, so that um, so that I can save my business, right? So I talked about as one of the one of the buckets, one of the legs to that stool, personal mindset development, leadership skills, right? Leadership skills include the persuasion uh, element of this. They include the need to create new culture and new strategies and new routines, which I talk about a lot. And we'll be talking about a lot more on the Winning Momentum podcast. And, I've, and, and at the same time, paying attention to those details, these are the technical skills, cash flow management, restructuring, making more money. And so doing all of those things is difficult. And it, indeed, it just makes turnarounds uh, uh, really hard, extraordinarily difficult. And so they often fail. And when a turnaround fails the consequences could be severe. They include loss of employment, right? You shut down a business and everybody that works for that business just lost their job. You don't pay your creditors, right? So all your suppliers and those people that extended credit to you, uh, they don't get paid and, and that causes them problems. You have dragged out litigation, right? The bank sues you on your personal guarantees, suppliers sue the company, and you end up with emotional stress, uh, depression, substance abuse, family issues. How many times do you see families break apart over business failure? You see it, you see it all the time. So when a turnaround happens, it's, it's got severe consequences, which means that not only are they really difficult, but, but there's a lot of pressure involved, which makes the leaders of those turnarounds um, um, uh, less effective. Let's just put it that way. But you know, it's actually worse than that. If you think about it from my, from my point of view as a professional turnarounds uh, artist, someone that, that jumps into a troubled business and tries to turn around, you know, not only is it high pressure trying to save those jobs, trying to save the, the family that may be involved in that. Um, but what happens, what happens to me, what happens to my career when I stick my neck out uh, to try to save this business, and I actually succeed, I succeed within the context of my own objectives, right? I go in and I look at this business and say, well, I, I'm never going to get from here to there, but I could get from here to 
you know, half of there. I could save this business. It's never going to be awesome, or at least under my leadership. But I can, I, I can save it, and I can move it uh, down the down the field and improve that business somewhat. Well, what happens all the time is you do that within your own objectives, uh, but then external stakeholders deem you a failure anyways. Casual observers deem you a failure anyways. I once did a show on Martini Swiscott on the YouTube channel about um, going through my failures because someone had accused me of being a failure, and I was trying to figure out what that was exactly. And um, <clears throat> there was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot because turnarounds are hard. They're risky. They're difficult to execute. Um, but even when you succeed, someone's going to say you failed. Someone's going to say you failed because they have a defin different definition of success, which is why I talk about it's really important on the persuasion side to be able to define what success means early and often uh, to try to mitigate against that, not just for your personal reputation, not just for my personal reputation, but the expectations of you as a leader, as a business president or whatever, from your, the stakeholders of your business, right? Because if you have a bank or you've got employees and you're saying, you're saying we're going to try to get to here and then you get halfway there, well, that's a problem. They think you're a failure. And who wants to be associated with a failure? There's a reason this is called winning momentum. Everybody wants to be associated with someone who's winning and momentum, uh, meaning every day you get up and things are a little better than they were yesterday. And so it's really important to define your own success when you're trying to improve your business or to, or to turn around a business and you need to persuade others of what success means and you need to do it you need to do it early and often, as I say. You know, an example of that, one of the first lessons that I learned in uh, turnarounds, I bought a, and we go back to the probably the mid-1990s, and I bought a, uh, a mine in northern Ontario in Canada. And it was shut down. It was dormant. And it turned out to be an amazing deal. And also, I had it was in a public company. So I didn't buy the mine. I bought... Uh, now that I remember the story, I bought a control block of a public company that was traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange, as I recall. And uh, so I took over and I stepped in as president. And this company had uh, no cash, it had a bunch of fixed assets, in other words, mining equipment and uh, a mill that was associated with that type of mine, um, and no operations. But it did have a wholly owned subsidiary in the United States, which, which was a manufacturing processing uh, entity that, you know, was really interesting to me at the time and one of the reasons that that I bought this company. But on the Canadian side, at the parent company side, we needed to go through a restructuring um, because there was, I forget the number, let's say a few million dollars of, of uh, suppliers in the local northern Ontario community that hadn't been paid, right? Nothing to do with me. I'm just the fellow that stepped in and they hadn't been paid probably in a couple of years, right? So I went to every one of these suppliers to these local businesses and I said, you know, here's the door, here's the story. There's no operations, there's no cash. Here's what I'm going to try to do to try to get you some money. And everybody said, great. And so I worked my ass off. I took a risk. I put my name on the line and I generated some cash and I was able to pay these creditors some money. 
And I don't hold me to the number, but as I recall, it was, you know, like 20 cents on the dollar. Okay. So I was super proud of myself. I was younger. This was one of my first, you know, um, my first deals as a principal. And uh, I was able to generate some cash for these creditors and to help out the local community, which made me feel good and was a success within the context of my own objectives. Do you think that the local community, the business suppliers, uh, the business people in those communities that got the, say, 20 cents on the dollars, do you think they defined that as a success or do you think they thought I was an asshole for not paying them 100 cents on the dollar sooner? I'll wait while you think about that. They thought I was an asshole for not paying them 100 cents on the dollar sooner, notwithstanding that it wasn't me that took this credit from them. It was me who made sure that they didn't get zero. I made sure that they got 20 cents on the dollar. And that is a lesson that is repeated over and over and over and over again in troubled businesses, in business in general. When you're in a crisis, when things go bad, you have to define what success means and early and often, and you have to persuade the stakeholders. And often you can't persuade the stakeholders. Often they don't care. Okay, I just see this over and over and over again, um, and it's a difficult situation. So turnarounds are hard. They're risky. Even when you succeed, people are going to say you fail. So it's no wonder that management teams avoid, and you have to confront your personal confirmation bias, which no one ever wants to do wants to do, it kicks you into cognitive dissonance. So it's no wonder that management teams avoid the daunting challenge of fixing a troubled business. Better, certainly easier, and better to not take ownership of the problem at all, to just be a victim, to believe that the world is temporarily against you and that success is just around the corner. And the most important value in business, the most important value in business is to not give up. I once did a show on the Martinis with Scott channel that I think we called give up. Just give up, right? And that doesn't mean to give up on your business. It means to give up on what you're doing every day because it's not working. You need to accept the need to change. You need to accept the change to get the need to change. Not giving up is an escape, okay? It's an escape from the truth. It's not a virtue. It's an escape from the truth. Change that filter. Start thinking about trying things out. See if they work. And if they don't work, Try the next thing out. That's not giving up on your main objective. It's not giving up on the aim that you need to have for your life and for your business. But doing the same shit every day and expecting things to be different isn't going to work. You need to accept the need to change. That is the first step in accepting, in, a, in implementing a turnaround. Accept the need to change. One of my favorite business cartoons is a single frame. A bunch of people stand, uh, sitting around a boardroom and in the background, there's two pictures, two charts, and uh, one is of revenue and one is of net profit. And both of the lines are heading in a downward uh, regression, a downward direction. In other words, their, their, their revenue is going down, their profit's going down and, and is negative. And one of the participants in that meeting is saying, this is the, the cartoon of it, the, the quote was, what if we don't change at all? And something magical just happens. You need to accept the need, the need to change. All right, there's an article, uh, an article this week that I was reading. I th think it was in the Financial Post. 
in Canada. It was an interview with Chris Nassetta, president and chief executive of Hilton Hotels. Okay, so a global uh, massive uh, company, Hilton Hotels, and this fellow is the global president and CEO. And it is about how to manage a crisis. I enjoyed the article. It was just a quick Q&A. I enjoyed it because it mirrors the content that I have been providing on Martinis with Scott and will continue to provide on the Winning Momentum contest, uh, contest, a podcast, the Winning Momentum podcast. So the first question in the interview was a few industries turned, a few industries turned upside down as much as yours being the hospitality industry. What did you learn about getting through this, this moment in history? And Chris's answer was that they had developed a playbook in uh, during 9-11, the Great Recession, and over time they had developed a a playbook as to handle a crisis, and that the basics of the playbook during COVID were exactly the same. And he calls them the three Ps, okay? So the first P is to protect your people because in their business, they have hundreds of thousands of team members and over 200 million customers at Hilton Hotels. So first P in their crisis is to protect their people. Second is to protect the core business um, to make sure they have the staying power to get through anything. Remember I said the technical skills, you can't run out of money halfway through a turnaround, okay? So protect the people, protect the core business, And the third is to prepare for the recovery because what goes down comes back up. The deeper the crisis, the larger the opportunity. When COVID hit, we did a couple of shows, actually a whole bunch of content on how to manage a crisis. And I've talked to you about about the concept that in a crisis, by definition, is a scarcity issue. Right, So we all talk about, oh, an abundance mindset and there's lots of resources in the world. Well, by definition, if you're in crisis, you have a scarcity problem, right? And and that's what happened in COVID. And when you have scarcity, as a leader, you need to focus. You need to double down on your priorities, on your values. You need to cut off the, the, um, the chafe. You need to cut off the extra things that are going on and, and sucking up resources, both financial and mind, uh, thinking power. And you need to just focus on what's really important to you. And that's sort of what the three P's are here uh, presented by presented by Chris, the CEO and president of Hilton Hotels. So what I said I was doing with my businesses at the beginning of a COVID, uh, I think it very much aligns with this playbook uh, by Hilton of a crisis is number one, I was going to look after look after the physical uh, and mental health of my employees. That was number one. So uh, that was a value that we had entering into COVID. And if you think back to beginning of 2020, you didn't know, you just didn't know what was going to go on. We have much better information now. So there was a lot of anxiety, right? And there was a mental health issue. Um, I was going to look after the cash flow of my business and be able to try to find a way to keep paying people so that they could pay their rent um, and feed their families. Right? And it didn't have to be on me. I could be using government programs to do that. But that was a priority. So I was going to over-communicate, um, make decisions for employees to protect their physical and mental health, um, 
manage the cash flow of the business, cut out everything that I could to make sure that people were getting paid or that we found alternative programs, support programs for them being paid. And then the third thing that I said I was going to do was I was going to prepare myself to leapfrog my competition um, coming out of this crisis, which is exactly Chris's third point, um, preparing for the recovery because what goes down must come back up. It's been very, very effective for my organization, and I think it's an important, uh, an important playbook uh, entering and uh, during any crisis at all. So that was interesting. Second question was asked, uh, as a leader, people look to you direction for direction. How do you handle that uh, when you really don't know what's going on, right? So again, back to the beginning of the global pandemic, you didn't know what was going to happen as a business leader. And his answer was effectively to communicate when there are significant unknowns, what people want to have is confidence, right? Um, and that you have a plan to address it. So you create visibility in your plan. So this is a communication. You communicate it constantly. You break your plan into parts so that people can see progress. And then you celebrate your successes. Is that not winning momentum? Is that not exactly what we've talked about in the Martinis with Scott show so many times? Make, Make today a little bit better than yesterday. And people will have more confidence despite everything going on around them. People will uh, have less anxiety. They'll make better decisions. They'll stick with you and they will be led. Okay, they will be led. So communicate, uh, break your plan into little tiny parts and have success and celebrate those successes. And if you do that, as Chris says, then people will believe the sun will come up tomorrow. Third question was asked, um, in this era of COVID, have you rethought the way you're going to do business? And he said, yes and no, you know, and, and well, I don't need to read you this. You can go find the article yourself. I think I've hit the interesting points I've talked about. I was speaking at a conference in Miami in mid December where I was talking, my panel was asked questions about what's changed permanently because of COVID. And my view is nothing. Nothing has changed in business permanently because of COVID. It may have accelerated trends that were already happening, right? The virtual office was already happening. It will never be fully virtual. It depends on the industry. And COVID just accelerated that. Technologies accelerated that. I don't think it's changed permanently. And as I reminded my audience uh, in Miami, who were a bunch of M&A bankers, uh, investment bankers, that uh, lawyers, accountants, that sort of crowd, very successful, ultra successful, uh, very professional, reminded them that we all live in a bubble. I live in a bubble, they live in a bubble. And outside that bubble, there's a whole bunch of businesses that are manufacturing things that are in the service industry, and they can't stay home. They cannot be virtual. So this whole talk about will we be virtual forever is just nonsense. It's just complete nonsense. It's elitist. It's within the bubble. People have to go to work in the service business. People have to go to manufacturing. I'm interviewing executives for uh, my companies, a lot of which are in manufacturing, and they're like, hey, can we have a, you know, can we work from home three days a week? And, and the answer is no. The answer is absolutely not. Now, don't get me wrong. Sinclair Range, the parent company, has always been more or less a virtual office because we don't have a need to spend much money on real estate, um, which in my industry is just ego-driven. But 
if you're going to be a CFO or a COO or some C-level executive, even a middle management in a manufacturing company, for example, and you expect your laborers to show up every day and build product, but you're just going to hang out at home in your, in your jammies uh, and work by Zoom, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. So um, anyways, sorry for the rant there. <laughs> um, the, um, the global pandemic has not changed anything in business. It may have accelerated some, direct, uh, some trends, direct to consumer. Okay, and that, that was the answer, would be an example. And that was the answer effectively from Chris, the president and CEO of Hilton. And uh, labor equation is changing rapidly with the great resignation. How are you coping? That's the biggest problem. Anybody in business knows that. Labor is the biggest problem for everything right now. And that's it. That's what I have for you today. I wanted to cover that article. I wanted to cover that article because I think it reinforces it reinforces prioritization and the need for that in a crisis. Um, I want to talk to you about your business and if you need to turn it around, if you need to make more money, if you want to improve, you need to change. You need to change. You need to change the strategies. You need to change the routines. Um, you need to change how you go about your day-to-day -day business and you need to change yourself because it's your confirmation bias. It's your filters that are holding you back. Thank you for joining me on the Winning Momentum podcast. We will talk next week. And uh, yeah, that's it.